Just another day in the LBC attic, organizing movies. Dang, Jared, I know you love to yard sale, but how can you find anything that you want to resell without organizing this mess? Unless this is his system, and I'm just messing it up by rearranging it? Meh, it's my space now. Hey, what's this copy of Santa Claus vs. the Martians doing over in sci-fi? It is obviously a Christmas movie. Come here, you. Clinton, aren't you supposed to be locked in the basement? Yeah, uh, you know, that is where I do my Fan Film Friday shows. But I have been trying to get out, you know. And I kind of thought the vents would be a decent exit. But there was some type of gate that wouldn't open. Just did, and then it sucked me to a room filled with an insane amount of movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Longbox Crusade is allowing me to present my new show, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, because the podcasting world needs another movie review show, in their attic. It's really neat. There is a whole mess of crazy and great films up here. Well, good for you. It's really nice that they... Wait, wait, wait. You get to leave? Sure. I mean, these guys are crazy, but they're not monsters. Um, uh, yeah, well... Hey, hey, would you mind doing me a favor? Uh, sure. Yeah, since you are already here, I just ran across one of my favorite movies. Do you want to watch it and maybe record a show with me? Yeah, why not? Now that I'm out of the basement, I can finally relax. Do you have any coffee by any chance? Yeah, sure thing. I got a curry cup set over there. We'll, we'll get you set up in a moment here. But first, let me tell you what you're going to watch. You ready for this? Yeah, shoot. All right. I just came across The Seven Samurai. This is one of my favorite Akira Kurosawa films, and it is a classic. I mean, it has launched so many other movies. You've never seen this, right? No, I've actually never seen it. All right. Well, this is from 1954, and like I said, it was directed by Akira Kurosawa. And it stars some people whose names I am probably going to butcher, but bear with me. Toshiro Mufun, who starred in countless Japanese movies. Takeshi Shimura, Kiko Tsushima, Isao Kumuru, and Dezuku Kaito. Tell me, what do you know about Seven Samurais? Well, I know it's a classic. Like you said, it has inspired several things. I've seen uh, The Magnificent Seven, which mm -hmm. is essentially the Western version of this, quite literally made in the West and is a Western. <laughs> it itself has been remade multiple times as both you know sequels, uh, remake movies, and I believe there was even a TV series at one point. Uh-huh. Yes, there was. Why haven't you seen this original before? Why has it never come across your radar? Uh, honestly, I just really don't know for sure. I have never <laughs> actually sat down and put the time in to watch it, and I've never really had it like pop up on a streaming service that I know of. So, Let me ask you this question. With your movie watching and your experience, how much do you get into watching subtitled films? Well... More often than some people. <laughs> One of the uh, first movies we did on Fan Film Fridays was subtitled, even. Good, good. I know that there's some stigma behind watching subtitled films. Uh, sometimes people are like, well, I'll just wait until it gets dubbed, or I think it's too distracting to read the subtitles. Personally, for me, I 
quickly got over that and realized that it just adds another layer to the film. And sometimes it's better than having a dub of the film. That's just my opinion. I just wanted to make sure because I didn't want to hit you with a film that you're like, wow, I've got to read. I don't like to read. <laughs> I just want to watch a film. I'm excited to have you watch this film. I, I think we should get some popcorn. I think we should get you your coffee and we should sit down and watch the film. And, uh, then we'll have a chance to talk about it. Sound good to you? That sounds great, especially with that coffee, because, I mean, I asked Jared and Jason at one point, I swear I said K-Cups, they came back with K-Rations from the Army Surplus store. Well, you know, sometimes you have to be very explicit with those gentlemen, but that's okay. Uh, speaking of Army Surplus stores, we've got a couple of Army chairs here, so you just pop one of those things open, I'll get the coffee, we'll get the popcorn, and let's watch this movie. All right. had a nice time sitting up here in the attic. Thank goodness they've got some air conditioning in this headquarters because otherwise it would have been hot. A little bit of a long film, but that's okay. I think we enjoyed it. But let me give let me give you, the listener, if you haven't had a chance to see this film or it's been a while, let me give you a chance to understand what we just watched. It's the 16th century feudal Japan. A small farming village is in the sights of a band of brigands, but the evil horde decide to wait until after the harvest to get more from the poor farmers. Overhearing the plans, the village decides to find a samurai to protect them. Luckily, they run across Kambi Shimada, an older and honorable war-ready leader. He helps the villagers recruit six other men to assist in this endeavor. The samurai work with the village to plan and prepare to ward off the upcoming attack, dealing with class unease, suspicion, and selfishness. Once the attack begins, the village must stand up against the unbelievable odds of the attacking horde. And this film uh, deals with seven very distinct characters, and I'm sure we're going to get to them. But let me just kind of run through them a little bit. Like I said, we have Kambi Shimada, who's the war-weary but honorable and strategic Ronin, the leader of the seven. Shinch and we're going to destroy these names, and I apologize. Shinchiroji, that's Kambi's old friend and former lieutenant. Katsuro Okamoto, this is the untested son of a wealthy landowner. Hachi Hayashida, this is an amenable, le though less skilled fighter whose charm and wit maintain his comrades' morale in the face of adversity. Kyozo, a serious, stone-faced, and supremely skilled swordsman. Gorbe Katayama, 
a skilled archer who acts as Kanbi's second-in-command and helps create the master plan for the village defense. And of course, Kikyuchu, played by Toshiro Mufuni, who's humorous, mercurial, and temperamental rogue who lies about being a samurai, but eventually proves his worth and resourcefulness. That's our players. That's our film. I'm done talking for a little bit, thank goodness, because I butchered these names. But I want to go ahead and hand it over to my cohort in this fantastical journey back to the old times. Clinton, what did you think about this movie? What was your first impression? How much did it match up with your expectations of this classic film? Well, my first impression of it was, wow, they really went out of their way to definitely keep this thing restored. Because, my God, the version I was watching was 4K, and holy crap. You know, for this to be a... I'm, I'm doing math here, like 60 or so year old, 60, 70, 70 year old movie. Old, yeah. Wow. That is, that is some really good restoration. But as far as the movie itself, it, it really holds up. I, I can definitely see why this is on everybody's top 10 list. What about meeting up with your expectations? I mean, like you said, this has for years been a film that has been uh, talked about emulated, repeated, and, and kind of held up into this high, high esteem. Did you kind of go into this with that, that thought that I'm going to see a masterpiece or, gosh, it can't really be that good? What was your kind of feeling on that? Well, I mean, it was a little bit of both. I was I was trying not to keep my expectations too high just in case it wasn't, you know, just in case it wasn't Citizen Kane or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, screw Citizen Kane. This is better. <laughs> But actually kind of uh, expected more of an action movie, well, a modern style action movie. And it wasn't, I mean, it, it delivered on the action, definitely. But there was a much more involved story than I really expected. This is very, very true. I, I, I really agree with a couple of things you brought up here. I was watching my version of this, which is a Criterion collection that I've owned for many years. It's DVD version, so it wasn't the 4K that you were looking at. But even this version that I've got, I just was amazed and kept commenting my wife multiple times, this is a gorgeous movie. It's beautiful. And it is in black and white, and it was shot 80 years ago. But the cinematography is so good that it just it, there's something about the composition of the shots and how they were put together that is just beautiful. And as far as the storyline, I think you're absolutely correct. I think that it is, the movie relies so much on the story of what they're telling and not the action, even though you know the action is coming. Oh, man, the, the cinematography, uh, that really stood out to me because, you know, normally, like, I have to remind myself, even like on the fan films, to really look at the cinematography on stuff, but this really stood out because it was just like you could tell kurosawa really went out of his way to make sure he had everything lined up perfectly for every shot like that there were no mistakes in in any <laughs> any scene any any way the camera moved that, everything and was intentional in that I agree. Let's just move straight on into the top hits and low blows. Let's talk about the highs and lows of this movie because we're already kind of waxing poetic on it. So let's go ahead and, and, and finish the job here. What are some of your best moments or some of the best things you enjoyed about this movie from your watch? Oh, man. Uh, let's see. Probably my number one highlight moment is Toshiro Mifune's character because I cannot say his name, Kikuchio? 
Cucuccio, I think that's correct. I ended up in my in my notes. I was calling him thirteen because that was the joke that they had <laughs> yeah. at the beginning, where they were calling him a thirteen year old. But yes, yeah. Whenever the other samurai has died and he just has flat out had enough, he grabs that flag, climbs up to the top of the hut, and just slams it into the roof. You can tell he's at the point. I will take on every last one of these bandits, whether you guys are with me or not at this point. I mean, that that is your action highlight right there. Yeah, and that was after they did a sneak attack because they found out that the bandits started to come back. The, the bandits had were in a nearby area and they had sent some scouts forward to to check out the village. And so they took out the scouts, but then they decided to go to where the bandits were hiding. And they sent a small party out there to find the bandits. And they find the bandits all are a good chunk of the bandits sleeping in this makeshift or in, in, in some kind of like makeshift hideout. And so what they decided to do was they said, burn it down. And in the process of burning it down, um, there was something occurred and one of the seven samurai was shot. And that was Hayahachi, who at that point in time, he was the one who was really keeping everybody light and keeping things kind of, kind of easy going. So it was a real blow to morale and the villagers and the samurai were very depressed by it. And in order to rise them up in order to get them going again that's when that's when uh, Toshiro Mifune's character ran into the hut where the samurai are staying and grabbed out the banner that um Haichi had was had made and that was showing like it was called the farm and had the seven samurai symbols on there and he put it on the roof and he got everybody you know we're, we're gonna do this we're gonna do this is rah 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 moment that's uh the, the Braveheart scene of him going in front of the troops you know <laughs> oh yeah definitely definitely uh, on top of that, I mean, it's hard to top that, but I mean, really the entire, uh, the entire battle, you know, which is basically two thirds of the second half of the movie. It's, it's actually a very short amount of time that the battle occurs in. And I, I think it's, um, I, I saw it more as a realistic battle because mm. it wasn't anything like we see the stylized battles that we have now. There, there wasn't a lot of martial arts that was occurring. I think where you really only saw like a couple of really clean and awesome looking sword cuts the rest of the time it was a lot of just hack hack mm-hmm. poke poke hack hack and, and horses running back and forth and chaos and and people you know you know mob of people charging forward mob of people chopping uh, charging back and so it's very dirty it's very unclean and it's kind of got that realistic gritty kind of feeling and there's not much uh there's not much action in this film that's about these samurai which is very interesting as well Right, and a lot of the story really plays out as as far as like developing the characters in their preparation for the battle. Yes, or even the first you, first bits of the battle, like uh, where Kikuchio saves the the child from the burning building. You know, the rest of the mm-hmm. family slaughtered, but I mean, he just between that and when he shames the samurai for trying to take advantage of the villagers, which. You know, I'll save that for a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah, when when he shames them, when he pretty much you know, explains everything about his past in that one scene where he saves the child, it, it's powerful. You oh, know, yeah. you don't expect that, and it it really hits you, and you're just like, man, do I even want to see the battle now? Because this was this was just so powerful. This film has a number of powerful and very intentional scenes. And speaking of 
Toshiro Mifune's character and kind of the development we see of him, I think it really speaks to the reason why he is known as one of the greatest actors to ever come out of Japan, one of the greatest actors in the world, is he was able to do more with his expressions and with his and, and how he just moved and acted than actual words or anything else. He is incredible to watch in this film. And it's it's really interesting to start off because he starts off as such a buffoon. And you're like, this is the great actor, Toshiro Mifune. And as the film starts to progress, you're like, oh, this guy's got layers. This the, this character has layers. And Toshiro Mifune is just slowly peeling them away. And you're seeing them bit by bit as he wants to show them to you, which is fascinating in and of itself. The other point I was going to bring out as well is this movie is very long. But I think that the dialogue, the amount of pages of dialogue that's in this film would probably fit into an extended graphic novel that wasn't written by Chris Claremont. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is a very dialogue light film, which, again, is very interesting because there is a lot that's going on here. There's a lot of information that's conveyed. And it's almost a traditional Japanese style of less is more. They don't need to say much. They will say a few th- a few words, and the expression and the interchange between different people tells stories. And you can write novels just on looks that they are giving each other. Right, right. Yeah, the, as far as like the dialogue and stuff, you get the bare bones of the story. You know, even in the the first little bit. Well, bandits are coming. Hey, I used to know of a village that had a samurai defendant. Let's go get one. Yeah. And then the you know, the next thirty minutes is collecting samurai. But yeah. you know, as far as the dialogue, it it really just keeps going back to well, our village is doomed if we don't get a samurai. Mm-hmm. But it it's like you said, it's the interactions between the characters that you see, which I guess really uh, is is the difference between a Japanese film and an American film. Yeah. Although I, I, I have seen films that American films that do the same thing and do it very well and do a lot more with character and, and, and acting and the emoting back and forth and just watching, you know, the, the good smoldering look between two people can communicate thousands of words, but a lot of times we just rely on those words to get us through, our action to get us through. What else? Do you have any other uh, real big pieces that or let me ask you this uh because i think that we can talk about the great things and we are going to talk about the great things of this film are there any low points for you is there anything that you didn't like with this film well i have to admit there was a whole lot more samurai butt cheeks than what i was expecting (laughs) yeah my my wife commented on that too she's like ah and i'm like what Period appropriate, we'll call that. Uh, they, they they didn't have Calvin Klein's or boxers back then. They had uh, they they had the uh, sumo wrestler diaper mm. kind of thing going on. <laughs> but um, other than that, the, the villagers are jerks. Yeah, I, and I don't necessarily consider it a low point. I think it's a very interesting uh, talk about class and class relations in the feudal society. Is what that is. Yeah, I mean it, it's not nec- it's built into the to the story intentionally yeah i mean as far as like being a low point for me it's just i don't know like i I can't fathom the people that are begging for help and then as soon as help arrives they instantly turn on it oh wait yes i can it's called the 21st century (laughs) but no as as far as actual lows because 
everything I start thinking about as a low really turns into to like, you know, it, it becomes a low just in order to raise it up for another high. No, and I agree. And I, I think that I think that looking at the class distinctions between the samurai and the farmers and how Toshiro Mifun is, is kind of explaining it to the samurai. Like, yes, of course they steal the graves of fallen samurai because they're farmers. They are poor. They have nothing. And then, of course, at the end of the movie, you know, they've won at what cost? You know, sure, there was probably uh, villagers who died as mm-hmm. well. But spoiler warning for the film, four of the seven samurai die at the end of the film. And the three that are remaining are paying their respects. At the same time, the villagers are very happily doing their planting and they're playing songs and they're they're planting together. And the one love interest thing, she rejects the samurai and she goes back with the village. And and it's the comment is, you know, yeah, of course, this is the way it is. We don't get any respect. Us professional soldiers don't get the respect. Again, that's, that's part of the, what the movie is saying, too. There is that class distinction. I'm glad you said the love interest because that is probably my low. You know, I'm so used to, well, you know, the the lovers get together at the end of the movie. Everything works out in the end. It just didn't work out. And again, that's a, a Japanese culture thing as far as for the movie, especially for the time period. Because, as I mean, it's repeated constantly throughout the movie. Like, you know, a farmer and a samurai are not going to get together. Even if they get together, they can't be together. And it looked like Katsuro was going to stay with the love interest. He was the the untested son of the wealthy fa- uh, landowner. He's the one who's really, you know, he's not really a samurai. He's learning to become a samurai. But he looks like he is willing to stay for the girl. But the girl rejects him with just a look, even though they were caught sleeping together by her father and the entire village. But yeah, it, it, you know, he's rejected at the end and and yeah, that that's not the place for him. He doesn't belong there. The samurai don't belong there. The samurai have done their job. Now they may move along because the village is safe and we're fine. And that is very much part of the part of the theme of the movie too. And it kind of leads me to wonder like was she caught up in that emotional wave Gorobe that, that suggests it? Possibly, possibly. Uh, I think part of I think part of it also was the fact that uh, her father reacted so violently. Her, her father was so worried. He's already he already lost his wife to the bandits. He didn't want to lose his daughter to these samurai who come in and and the village hid all the women when the samurai came and only the women came out when they were doing the harvesting and they're like, where do all these women come from? But the women were hidden away from the samurai. But the one father, he was so worried that his daughter would bewitch one of the samurai or the, and then the samurai would take her that he viciously cut her hair. And I think part of her rebelling against that then was part of why she also, you know, kind of broke out of her own or her own costume that she was in. And, and they developed a love relationship between the two of them. But it is, it's part of the story, but it's, it's probably not the best part of the story. And I think that, you know, kind of looking at it nowadays, it's like, ah, we're at this part. Can't we get back into the more of the interaction between the villagers and the other samurai? Yeah. yeah. The, I know that the love, the love piece had to be in there, but at the same time it was like, eh. Yeah. If there's anything that really feels like the movie stops and goes on a detour, it's that. You could probably cut that out and still have the, the same story overall. And not not really lose a lot, but you know. Meanwhile, it, the, as far as relationships go, Rikichi he just keeps you know swearing to everyone he has no wife, he has no wife. And then when mm-hmm. they 
do the raid on the bandit's hideout and they find out his his wife has been you know their concubine for the last several years and it's like wow you know talk about your gut punch and she was an amazing part of that too because like we said earlier when they burn down this one hideout they're all asleep inside with their concubines and the only person that sees them sees them is her she sees them outside she sees the fire start and she is about ready to raise the alarm but she realizes no i would rather die in a fire than to continue my existence and all of that is said with a look everything that occurs in that is just her look and her acting on that scene and it is just you shiver you just are like oh this is this is so terrifying and yet I can understand everything that's going through her head. Right, and then that moment is way more powerful than Hihachi's death that follows just right after it. Right. There's a, We've talked a lot about Kikucho, Toshiro Mifun's character, but um, there are some other characters that I find very, very fascinating in this, such as Kyozo, who's the serious stone-faced and supremely skilled swordsman. His introduction at the beginning of the film I thought was very fascinating. They see that there's a, a duel that's going on between him and another another samurai. And first of all, they, you see both of them go, they pick up bamboo sticks, clean them off, face each other, and they strike. And the one guy says, ha ha, I beat you. And goes, no, I, I hit you actually first. And, oh, well, there's only one way you can solve this. We can solve this with real swords. No, there's no need. I beat you. And the other guy, the bravio guy, says, I will fight you. And so they grab out their swords and they... It's an extended scene where they are just standing there. Kyozo is standing like a statue. The other guy's moving and fidgeting. And this is all being watched by uh, Shimada. And Shimada makes the comment, it's over already. He already knows the outcome. He can see the outcome coming a mile away. And of course, Kyozo just slaughters him in one stroke. Again, this is something that goes on and on. You see this character do amazing things. He, you know, one night in the middle of the attack with the bandits, he says, there's... They know that the bandits own three guns, and you know if we could only disable one of those guns. And he says, no problem, I'll go out and get one of the guns. And he runs out into the night, and early the next morning he comes walking back in, says, I killed two of them, throws the gun over, and he goes over to sleep. <laughs> because he is that awesome. I just love the fact that they don't show him do any of the stuff. No. That he just comes back. You don't need to. It's actually better mm. with not seeing it. Yeah, it's like a good horror movie that cuts away before the actual murder. More, less is more, and whatever's in your mind is way more amazing. Well, let's let's do one more round here. And is there any other scenes, or is there any other things that you really want to talk about? Probably just the fact that you know we haven't really addressed that Kambe is tired of war. He's he's tired yes. of battle. He, you know, the villagers find him getting ready to take on a thief just because he's holding a child hostage. But otherwise, you know, he's he's ready to die like everyone... Well, not like everyone else, but... He, I mean, he's just ready to be done with it. Life or death is the same to him at this point. But he would just as mm-hmm. soon, you know, go off and live life all alone. And it it's just really speaks to his character that, that he still joins in with the villagers on their crazy idea of defending the village well i think it's it's that and it also shows what his level of morals are he's not interested in fame or glory or anything else like that at all he uh, he's interested in the moral cause you know he goes to to save that child because it's the right thing to do 
He goes to save this village because it's the right thing to do. Oh, they're going to feed us. Okay, fine. I, you need help finding a samurai. Let me help you find the right samurai. So yeah, he's he's the war wearied. He's he's tired of it all, but he's a fascinating character because he is he's the Captain America. He he is as good as he he says he is. And just one more thing as far as the casting and everything. Man, they went out of their way to find the people who could look the most sad and pathetic and homely for the villagers. Cuz I, I mean, they're supposed to be, you know, cowardly and you know, just defeated morally emotionally everything and it comes through to the point that you're just like man you know a a stray dog that hasn't eaten for three weeks would be able to walk all over these people they are thin they are emaciated they have a handful of teeth between them all uh they they are dressed in in the just rags of clothes the, the, the samurai joke saying, oh, they have stuff that's hidden away. You just don't know it. They've got their good stuff hidden away. Well, they do have a little bit of good stuff that they do hide away for those special right. occasions. Like right before the final battle, they they bust out the sake. Where did this come from? Oh, they've been hiding that. The casting kind of goes right up there with the cinematography and the location and just the overall features of the film. You get the squalor that they live in. You get that the only thing that they do is they farm. That's the only thing they know. They don't understand how to fight. They don't understand strategy, which is the other big part of this film, too, is that this is a masterclass on strategy, and you could almost do a war college class just on the film and how they they plan out, how they review the land, how they come up with a defense plan, how they come up with an attack and fighting plan, and you they put it all together piece by piece by piece, and they, they explain to the villagers, here's what acceptable loss looks like. Once you're done harvesting the fields, we're going to flood them. You know, whether you like it or not, we're going to flood them. Oh, you see these outlying houses here? Yeah, they're gone. We can't protect them. We cannot protect the entire village and those houses. We can tech- protect the higher, entire village without those houses. So those are sacrifices that need to be made. And I think it comes to one of my favorite parts of the movie, and I actually tweeted this out too, is there was one part where Kambe has to stop the villagers who want to go and like oh forget this we want to you know there's certain villagers who want to go and protect those those houses and they run out there we're going to protect those houses and Kame gets in front of him tells him to get back in line and says you you can't do this we are one group now we are on a lifeboat together if one of you if one of you leaves if one of you goes against it it fails for all of us and it's such a perfect encapsulation of like you know, what it is to be in a society we're either all together or it doesn't work not even just that it it also speaks to you hired us to protect a village if if you're mm-hmm. gonna go off and do all that then you're on your own it, it's one of those like you you literally have your protection right here and you're rejecting it in favor of saving as one of the villagers calls it, just a few rickety shacks. Yes. You know, it's, it's like, these are our homes, but you have to admit, they're shoddy. We can rebuild. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's something that's, that doesn't come up enough. It's like, you put so much into these, these buildings. How about the lives? The buildings can be rebuilt. The lives right. can't. Not going too much farther down to what it's like nowadays but yeah that's very true even today i found it very fascinating that a film that was done 80 years ago is talking about things uh, 80 years ago about something that happened in the 
1500s is talking about something that's very relevant today. That's all I had. Is there any last minute thoughts that you have before we rate this guy? No, I, I think I've pretty much waxed the car on this one. <laughs> I've shined the sword, you know, polished my steel here. That would be a be- that would be a much better simile than waxing the car, because I was going to say, I'm not sure there's many cars around in feudal Japan, but I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't there. So let's go ahead and rate this. How many full bags of popcorn would you like to give it? Because we are part of the uh, lovely LBC network, so we don't do halvesies here. One to five, what would you give this film, sir? Well, you know, if musical genius Joe November were here, he would rate it on a scale of whatever he felt like rating it, because I don't necessarily choose to speak for (laughs) Joe November all the time. Oh, on a scale of one to five... I mean, come on. There's no way it's anything less than five. No, there's not. There's not. This is an easy, easy choice. There's a reason why it is held up in such high, high regard. You know, I, I still wanted to put it to you and make sure that you agreed with it, too. I, I, I am glad that I've done this. I'm glad that this was one of the one that was on your uh, list. Gave me a chance to rewatch. It's been way too long since I have, but it just was enjoyable, even though it was a bit long. I did break it up over a couple of nights. <laughs> I mean, if anybody's really upset over their length, come on. We all sat through those extended cuts of the Lord of the Rings movies, and they are <laughs> at least the same length, if not longer. This is a true fact. <laughs> and there are three of them and just one Correct. of these. Plus, this has an intermission. It does have an intermission. And I missed that the first night by about 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, if I just waited a little bit longer, I could have hit intermission. <laughs> all right. Before I uh, let you leave this attic room, like I promised you, where can we find you out there in the lovely internet spheres? Well, on this network, you can find me generally uh, down in the basement. Thank goodness I'm out of there. Doing Fan Film Fridays, which is uh, me and a random guest looking at online fan films, similar to what you're doing here, but basically on a much lower budget (laughs) and that uh, generally comes out the first friday of every month and when i'm not doing that i'm usually podcasting about comics on my own show called coffee and comics podcast and generally you can find me on twitter usually uh, at coffee comics blg and occasionally at fridays underscore fan and both of those shows are excellent i highly highly recommend them but as for myself, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff and Merck Present, or you can find me on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my own farm boy, <laughs> Jeff. And that's where we talk about Power Pack, which is the most underrated book from the 80s, and we have a lot of fun with it. But I would like to thank the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use this lovely attic of their headquarters to broadcast this show. And I want to thank their sponsor, Omaha Bound who, haha, I just found out today that they are starting the final binding on my book, so I'm going to get Nth Man in soon. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, so fancy? Oh, I am going to be oh, so fancy, just like Jared. <laughs> I would also like to thank the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network. If you would like to support the network, head on over to Patreon and search for Longbox Crusade. But that's all we have time for today, so why don't you grab the popcorn pull up a seat and we'll be back with our next episode next month our theme music is the entertainer by kevin mcleod at incompetech.com and is licensed under creative commons by attribution 4.0 license and that is a wrap thanks a lot clinton 
Yeah, no problem. And now uh, you promised you'd show me how to get out of this madhouse. Oh, yeah, 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 sure thing. The door handle is right next to you, just right on that shelf over there. Oh, which one? Gosh, there's so many movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shelf with Laser Blast, The Final Sacrifice, Space Muni, Manos the Hands of Fate, and Mitchell. Oh, uh, ah, there it is. Huh? That's an odd collection of movies. Well, not really. That's just the MST3K pile. The what? Ah! Oh, you know, that TV show where they trap a guy in space and force him to watch movies. Yeah, never mind, never mind. Okay, you can come out now. He's back in the basement. Good, good, excellent. So, Jared, why did you go through this elaborate setup, and why do you keep him locked in the basement? Honestly, at this point, I don't know anymore. <laughs>